Well, welcome back to On Point. I'm David Peck, and our next guest is Karen Craggs-Milne. She's the head of anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Thought Exchange, and she's here with us today to once again, hopefully, peel back uh, some uh, layers on a pretty important topic. Karen, thanks for joining us here on Point. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Karen, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to start out. Uh, um, Maybe uh, I, I'm sort of trying to make a joke here, but but light. Can can you can you help us all understand what this this thing called gender uh, inequality versus gender equity really is about? After all the years of your work and your teaching and your writing and so on, is there a way to unpack it fairly quickly for us to 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 real for it to resonate and really understand it at the heart? Mm, that's such a great question. Um, so I'll tell you a story that I often use in uh, educational sessions. And it is that a parent comes home and there's uh, a boy and a girl and they're fighting over the last orange. And the parent says, you know, they'll figure it out. There's two of them, one orange, you know, they'll figure it out. Then they come back and uh, they're still fighting over it. So the parent takes the orange, cuts it in half and says, here you go, half for you and half for you. And now they're really upset. They're both crying. They're both asking, why did you do that? And the parent says, well, because there's two of you, uh, so half and half. That's equal, right? And uh, the girl says, well, I needed the peel, the whole peel intact for my homework. And the boy says, I needed the full flesh of the orange for my homework. And so that is the principle of equity. Equity requires that we understand that different people, based on their identities and lived experiences, have different starting points. They have different needs. They have different barriers. Understanding what are those needs and responding proportionally to their specific realities and needs, that's equity. And equality would be the outcome of meeting everybody's needs. So we don't necessarily, a lot of people think of equality as 50 cents for each, uh, you know, if I'm paid a dollar, right. you should be paid a dollar. That's that's definitely one element. But I think there's much more to equality than just that we have the same dollar amount for the same work we're doing. It's also that I'm valued equally for being a woman and the contributions I make in the house uh, as a caregiver, as much as you are as being a bread. Uh, bread earner and that we're able to actually switch roles and support each other in ways that hold us uh, fully in dignity. And I have to say that, you know, more and more when we talk about gender equality, we're also talking about uh, LGBTQI groups and inclusion around uh, a non-binary approach to understanding gender equality. And that's also really important. So do you, do you even use the word inclusion anymore? I just, I'm, I'm interested to know, do you, do you, do you have something that, that, that maybe even makes a little more sense? Cause I, I know I've heard people uh, push back against that a little bit, you know, when, cause I think at the heart of what, when somebody says, oh, we need to be inclusive. I, I do believe often, not always that, um, and I guess it depends on the organization and the person that, that, that the spirit of it is there, right? There's a desire to embrace, but, but is that. Yeah really inclusive does that even make sense well i would say that uh the word has been used uh with different interpretations and meanings by different mm. organizations and groups and so we have a sense of the essence of what inclusion means but actually as a certified practitioner i would tell you that there's actually very distinct uh types of work that happens when i'm doing work on diversity versus work on equity versus work on in, uh, on inclusion they're different. And ultimately, all of those, if we, uh, you know, if we 
move the dial on each one of those elements, we'll end up creating a sense of belonging and a sense of people having their own agency and being able to do really well and thriving at work and feeling seen and valued in their communities. That's how you know that this work is working. However, I want to I want to point to a different piece that is really important is that we can do what I call DE and I and belonging work. But the real work, the real call to action, which George Floyd's murder really helped us look at is anti-racism. And you're not going to address uh, systemic issues by doing inclusion work. There are two, mm. two very different things, right? Inclusion. And, and one of the things that we hear all the time is, who are you trying to be inclusive towards? Are you trying to be inclusive towards the majority so that they're not offended or uncomfortable when we're having these conversations? Or are you trying to move the dial for people who are truly excluded, marginalized, silenced in the process? So it's a, it's a tricky conversation and there's many levels to it. Yeah, we just had a guest on, Julie Yang, who's the executive director at Magic Canada. She's a performing magician, and 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 um, she's just come back from the you know this, this the Olympics of Magic in Quebec City, first time it's mm-hmm. been held here. You know, many many magicians coming, most of them, of course, men, and so the whole idea of you know inclusion and equity and so on seems to be <laughs> a, a fairly deep issue right within this community and it's been this way for hundreds of years it's 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 part of the tradition you would almost say and it's become so cliche to you know think of the magician's assistant you know karen when you see something like that and and i want to talk about the the, there's a report a very disturbing report coming out about hate crime and there's been a a resurgence of it uh, during covid and 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 so on i want to talk a little bit around that but i mean a tradition like you know magic that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years I mean, where do you even start to, to, to chisel away at that, you know? I mean, and I know it's not simple, and I think you've made that super clear, and we need to listen, but can, can you help us understand something as, as, as potentially troubling as that? Well, uh, I think the simplest, the quickest answer would be that, you know, from my perspective, having done this work for two decades, I think most organizations get this work wrong, and they start at the wrong end. So what they look at is what I call parity. And they say, well, we only have, you know, five women for 20 men in leadership or as magicians or whatever it is. They're looking at numbers and they're thinking equality is all about fixing the numbers. But here's the thing. If I bring in more women into that leadership circle and I don't work with the men to help them be more uh, sensitive and supportive and value different ways of making decisions, we're setting up the women to fail. So really, when we're talking about inclusion and equality and truly like sustainable, tangible results, that's not where we need to start. It's one element of a bigger piece. And so I created a framework called the Conscious Equality Framework, where I teach organizations four different elements of work, of which representation and pathways to leadership is only one of the other three quadrants. And so the second quadrant is understanding needs. So we can have one person who's LGBTQI in a school, are we meeting their needs? And it's not about how many LGBTQI students do we have that, that, um, you know, that then decides whether or not we create a gender-inclusive washroom. It's we have a student, are we meeting their needs because they're different and they have those needs? Are we being respectful and giving them the same dignity as everybody else? So that's the second quadrant. The third one is a longer-term piece around transformation, so challenging stereotypes, history, uh, perceptions, judgments that we have of different groups. And then the last one is really assessing our initiatives from the point of view of, are we doing harm in the process of trying to do good, which is a whole other call that you and I can have. 
Oh, wow. The whole notion of doing no harm is, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a whole show, it seems to me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, including, inclu- maybe it's a conference, and I'm pretty sure that they, they've already been done. Karen, you've touched on so many important things, and this idea of doing no harm and so on, and maybe we'll save that for the, the, the next time we have you on the show. Hate crime reports in Canada have surged. The headline reads, hate crime reports in Canada surged during COVID-19 pandemic. Um <sighs> I don't know. I mean, there's so many questions I could ask about this. And I just, I kind of, I think I kind of, just because of your level of expertise and how long you've been doing this. And by the way, you can learn more about uh, Karen at karencraggs.com. That's C-R-A-G-G-S.com. Um, is this just because of COVID? I mean, so we've seen this surge. People are locked in. They're feeling frustrated. We have mental health issues. We have medication issues. I mean, think the list is kind of endless. Hate crime, sexual assault are on the increase. What? What's help us understand? Yeah, you're asking a big question, and I think um, you know I have to preface anything I say with uh, this is just my perspective. It could be totally off. People may disagree with me and that's that's totally fine. Um, but, you know, from all the reading and research that I've been doing around what's happening, you know, we know for a fact that the, the numbers are going up for hate crimes and for sexual assault affecting uh, women, but also LGBTQI community. And we know that when it comes to hate crimes, you know, they are uh, the groups that are really impacted are religious groups, those uh, of different races and ethnicities. So that's what the report is telling us that this is happening. And I would say that, um, you know, we many Canadians live with with uh, this view. And I did when I came to the country that we are, you know, we don't have a problem here. We don't have a problem with gender inequality. Mm, We don't have a problem with racism. And I think, you know, the statistics and the report are telling us, well, that's not actually true. But there are many contributing factors, and I would say that definitely in the most recent statistics, uh, COVID would have impacted them. So I'll give you, um, you know, an organizational perspective. We had staff in our company uh, from Asian backgrounds, and they were telling us that on their way to work or on their way home or, you know, their families needed their support because they were being told, get out of this country. You know, you are the reason why we got COVID. Wow. This is a Chinese disease. Like, and this is by educated people. And so we know that, you know, one of the triggers of uh, rising uh, hate crimes against the Asian community was the way it was positioned as being a disease that came from a particular country and therefore a particular group of people. And how that just swept, uh, you know, like a fire, just ran uh, ran through the whole country and, and overseas and ca- caused all kinds of damage, right? Both verbally and physically for communities. So that was, you know, I think COVID itself, and the stereotypes attached to COVID were a big part. I think the other thing is, uh, you know, just like gender equality, you know, when we start talking about race relations and we talk about what happened to George Floyd very publicly in front of all of us, uh, and we try and make that right, and we are seeing an uprising of black voices around the world saying, enough is enough, it's time for justice, like the whole world has seen this, what is it going to take for us to take any action Mm. to do anything? Like, you know, whenever you have that kind of awakening and and um, I would say long overdue confrontation about the injustices that they face, you're always going to uh, face a very quick retaliation to that. Just like when, when women talk about women's rights and then men get their backs up and they say, wait a minute, I'm not sexist. I'm not a, a woman hating man. I'm a decent person. And so 
every time we have any kind of rights-related conversations, there is going to be a response to that. But I would say let's not be naive about it because I've also read reports that have said that there's also an increase in white supremacy across the country and overseas as well, right? Like our neighbours uh, were pretty open about that. And so you've got rising white supremacy. You've got a, a bit of a backlash creating creating the right um, you know, safety net for people to say and do whatever they want and get away with it. Uh, you've got COVID making it worse and giving people excuses. You've got um, a very high distrust of police, so there's less reporting. I'm sure these stats are underrepresented mm. of what's actually happened and the scale to which it's happened for different groups. So many different complex factors. Well, it seems it seems to me, and I, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but uh, um, something like COVID just kind of reveals a greater problem. And, and we, we've got to wrap up here in a, in a couple minutes or less, but isn't isn't that really what's happening? I mean, it, we can't just, you know, we're always looking for that scapegoat, right? It's like, well, gee, well, let's blame COVID. For, well, hang on. How about looking inward? Right. And how about, how about listening? How about asking some new questions? And that's, that's the big challenge. And this is why I love, you know, the work that you're doing. I mean, are, Karen, are you hopeful? Can, can, can you, that's a big question too, but can you give us a, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, we gotta yeah, go to break yeah. shortly, but yeah. So, are you hopeful? I would say I'm very hopeful because I think Canada and the spirit of Canada and Canadians is, you know, coming from a really good place. We take care of each other. We love our communities, our local communities. We uh, go out of our way to help, you know, refugees coming in, like Ukrainians who needed our support. Like, there's a lot of things that we've done wrong. And if you if you look at our history and our laws and how we, you know, persecuted the Japanese and and all the things we've done with the Sikh community and others, we got it wrong for a long time. But mm. I think what we've done in the past should not define who we are and how we show up in the future. And I think it literally comes down to every single one of us. Um, you know, every single one of us challenging, difficult moments, stepping up, having conversations. When you see somebody like a teller ignoring a black person in the line saying, hold on a second, that person was in front of me. Can we take care of them first? Like, we need to do our part as Canadians on the front lines. But I also think that there's a lot to be done with legislation and that we need to correct systemic issues, too. Yeah, I you know, I love this idea of doing no harm. You've talked about transformation. And something else I would love to explore with you, and I hope others uh, dig into it, is this, just this idea of belonging and mm -hmm. agency. And how can we do that in organizations and in relationships and even in our own families? Karen, thanks so much. Uh, we've been talking with Karen Craigs Mild. She is the head of anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Thought Exchange. You can find out more about the work she does at Karen craigs.com. Very generous. Uh, thanks for your time tonight, Karen. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Take care. And we'll be right back. My name's David Peck, and this is On Point.